Hi, and welcome to The Rocks Podcast. On Wednesday evenings, we are currently studying through some of the Psalms. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue through what has been called Israel's hymn book of praise and worship. All righty, gang, let's settle in, get started. Now pick up where we left off with our series here in the Psalms. How cool is this church? Iced coffee and apple pie out there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Hey, uh, are you ready to pray? All right, let's do that. Now, Heavenly Father, we like to quiet our hearts and just ask, Lord, the Holy Spirit, calm and quiet uh, our minds and help us to be in a ready and willing posture to hear from you, Lord, to give us ears that can hear the, the voice of the Holy Spirit and hearts that can understand and, and a desire to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here in the series of uh, the Psalms, Jesus made a very significant statement, uh, very relevant to our study in the Psalms, uh, found in the Gospel of Luke. Let me remind you, uh, it was that first Sunday um, church meeting on Resurrection Sunday that we call Easter. And uh, he appeared uh, to his disciples gathered in the upper room. Now the disciples were confused and uh, bewildered and downcast. Uh, it had been three days and there in the upper room, you know, uh, it's interesting to me because Jesus is going to appear in the upper room. You know, Thursday night, they were in that same room having the Last Supper. And have you put it all together that he appears when he appears uh, Sunday evening to them? They're in that room, that same room with John 14, 15, and 16, the upper room discourse. And so uh, on that night, he appeared and he said, peace be with you, and everybody's freaked out. They think it's a spirit or a ghost or whatever. And so he said, uh, "Listen, it's me. Touch and see. Hey, I, I, I'm really real, flesh and bone. Feel. Put your hands here." He said, uh, "You know, can I? Uh, do you have anything to eat here?" And he takes a piece of fish and he puts it in his mouth and chews it and swallows and opens his mouth. See, I, I'm eating. I'm here. It's me. And then he says, listen, why are you guys so freaked out and so slow to believe? And here's what he says, and it pertains to our study in the Psalms. He says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you a hundred times. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. I love that statement because what is Jesus saying? Boy, he's putting in his stamp of approval on the Old Testament as being uh, legitimate and God-breathed and inspired by him. We can leave that up there because, uh, you know, the law of Moses is the last uh, half of Exodus and all of Leviticus and all of 
Deuteronomy. And the prophets, of course, are easy. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. The majors and the minors, and the minors are only minors because they're shorter, not minor in significance, amen? And then he says, and the Psalms. And so we know what the Psalms are, one through 150. And so when there is any prophetic speaking of Jesus in the Psalms, those Psalms are called uh, messianic Psalms. And so uh, back to the chart. That's what we're on tonight, the hymns of the Messiah. So God breathed inspired songs and poems that we call Psalms there that have anything to do with Jesus are called messianic Psalms because the word Messiah means chosen. The Christ is the title in the Greek for Messiah, but all of that means chosen one. What does that mean, chosen? It's God's chosen way to be saved. He's the chosen door to eternal life. That's you keep going with that thought of He's the anointed one. It's the path of salvation to eternal life. For there is no salvation in anybody else, no other name. There's only one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. That's really what Messiah means. Messiah in itself says there's an exclusive way. This is the only way. That's what Christ means. A lot of people don't, don't even get that. It means I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what Messiah Means And so these are songs, there are songs, there are uh, 25 that have been designated in um, the Israel's hymn book, as it's called, uh, 25. So that would be what? One in six psalms are, are totally directly related to uh, the Messiah, Jesus. And so, um, so these psalms talk about Jesus' life, Psalm 89, how he'll be related on, in his human nature to King David. His death, Psalm 22 and others like it, talk about how he would be despised and rejected and describe the cross before there was even such a mode of execution. Um, the resurrection, there's a shout out there in Psalm 16. Jesus' exaltation to the highest place that he'd be ruler over the world. That was Psalm 2. We read it for our call to worship. Um, The nature of the Messiah being equal to God, Psalm 102. He's the creator of all things, the Messiah. Uh, Even Jesus' miracles, walking on the water, stilling the the, um, storm, Psalm 107 gives a prophetic shout out to that. Jesus' mission, that he came in a body to lay down his body for the sins of the world, Psalm 40, and the future destiny of a kingdom that he would reign, sit, seated on a throne, an eternal throne, Psalm 45. So I just listed for you note takers a whole bunch of messianic uh, psalms. Now, a messianic psalms, uh, 11 New Testament books go back to the psalms about Jesus, 11 New Testament books. And so these they're very important. So tonight... I'm particularly interested in the Psalms that Jesus quoted. One in particular we're going to study, a messianic Psalm that he quoted himself. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. You think about it. You don't have to shout it out. But of all the Old Testament, 
Jesus quoted a lot of scriptures in his ministry. Uh, what was the most popular book in the Old Testament that he would quote from? So I'll give you a second to think. So in, okay, we have one Deuteronomy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll start in fourth place. In fourth place with seven quotes, seven different quotes from the book of Exodus. All right, and so that seven times, you know, he mentions the commands a lot and interprets them and applies them. And so in third place with eight references, eight different references to uh, the book of Isaiah. Oh, Isaiah has a lot to say about Jesus. Therefore, Jesus had a lot to say about the book of Isaiah. And then in second place with 10 references to the book of Deuteronomy. 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 Oh, you know, and the three famous ones, of course, when he was duking it out with the devil, you know, and the, and the devil's trying to tempt him. And, and he just, this is his weapon, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, wow. And, and it wasn't just there, obviously, since there are 10 references, but again, talking about the law. So it may surprise you to find out that Jesus' favorite book to quote from in the Old Testament was what? The Psalms, yeah. Don't all applaud at once. You'll, you'll scare me. All right, so thank you, one person. I'm happy for you. I'm giving you a Starbucks card for that, all right? <laughs> all right, so uh, yes, it's the Psalms. With 11 times, Jesus went to the Psalms. And so um, I have written down here, I think it's a good idea to be familiar with Exodus, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, and the Psalms because Jesus like to quote from them. So uh, now, the themes of the quotes um, from the Psalms that Jesus actually says it's written in Psalm 2 or whatever, um, they mostly deal with explaining the hostility and the rejection and the persecution that he's receiving as the cornerstone rejected, Psalm 118. There's another messianic uh, shout out there. Also, Jesus quotes uh, Psalm 22 as he's dying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And also he quotes Psalm 31, into your hands I commit my spirit. But for me, in the psalm that we're going to study tonight, the Messianic um, beautiful hymn, is uh, what's intriguing to me is that Jesus used it to outwit his opponents publicly and to silence the Pharisees, the, 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 the Sadducees, the Herodians, who were publicly on busy Tuesday of Passion Week. They were in the temple courts, and they were doing public debating and each group took their turn coming up to Jesus and saying, we've got a question for you, Mr. Messiah, you know? And so politically loaded questions, all kinds of tricks and traps, and, and there's just no way out, you know, if he said yes or no. But every single time he uh, evaded the trap and, and, and put them in their place. But then he said, okay, gather around, everybody. I've got a riddle for you. I've got a question for you. Now, and here's the context of the psalm, Psalm 110, 
that I want to take a look at tonight. There are only seven verses. We're going to walk through them. But here's the context for the psalm Jesus went to to silence his foes. And, and, and here it is in the context. So we'll work backwards. This is where Jesus quotes it on busy Tuesday of Fashion Week, as I said. right? And then we'll go back to the psalm and we'll read Psalm 110 and we'll walk through it. That's our study tonight. While the Pharisees were gathered together, so it's their turn right, to answer some questions. Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ, this Messiah? Let's talk about him. Whose son is he? Well, the son of David, of course, everybody knew, meaning he would descend from David's family line. That's a promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14. So the Jews knew this. So he's saying, who's he related to? Who does it, what family does he come from on his human side, right? So he said to them, well, I've got a problem with this. How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, in Psalm 110, now what do we have? We have Jesus, the Son of God, calling David, naming David as the author of 110, and also saying he was speaking by the Spirit. And so we know that Psalms are not just songs or hymns. It's the Word of God. The Holy Spirit was speaking through him, penning these songs in Psalm 110 is what he's after now. So he says, so I've got this problem. If he's the son of David, he says to them, then how is it then David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, verse 1 of, of uh, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So if then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could answer a word in reply. And from that day forward, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Oh, and there's a reason that everyone backed down and no one dared to ask him a question. More than just being, not being able to answer. There's a deeper reason as you, as you study Psalm 110, which we're going to do. Now, you know, um, the, let's answer his question. Here's the short, short answer. Here's the cliff note notes, the, the cheater's uh, notes for, for the answer to this theological riddle. How can David call him his son? How can the Christ, this Messiah, who's, who we all know he's standing there claiming to be him, and they know that he's claiming to be this one, right? How can he be both related to David, but David calls him Lord? Just curious. I, I just wonder how that's happened. The answer to that is that he is both the son of man. He is a human being uh, born of Mary, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So he is the second person of the Godhead. He is God, the son. He has a divine nature. He is the God man. And that is why David can say, he's my ancestor, but he's also, my Lord, you see, that's the quick answer. And so, yeah, a child is born to us, as the prophet Isaiah said, a son is given the God-man. And so, here, it doesn't surprise me that Jesus goes for the jugular here, uh, because what's the passcode of the, of the Christian faith? Jesus is Lord. If you believe 
Jesus is Lord. If you, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, there it is. What Jesus is Lord, what does Lord mean? Lord means God. Jesus is Lord. If you can confess that with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in other words, that he's Lord and alive, you will be saved, right? So, so if you miss out on Jesus being Lord, you miss out on everything. So this is why it just kind of stopped the parade and everybody had to stop and think, oh, there's scriptural evidence that the Messiah is Son of Man and Son of God, all caps, the second person of the deity. This would explain why he can make the claims, whoever believes in me will never die on the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. Whoever believes in me from the, their innermost being shall flow rivers of life and eternal life overflowing. Come on. This is why I can say that, because he is equal to God in every way. And it would also explain why he could talk to dead people and they get up. All right, that, that just explains it right there. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 110 now and walk through it, because it's the key. It was right there in front of them the whole time. Of course, there are other scriptures too. Isaiah told us of the Messiah these are his titles. Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. That's pretty clear. Almighty God. The Messiah will be called Almighty God. Everlasting Father. That, that would seem like that qualifies you to be equal to God if you're being called Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So it was other places, but this was a good one. Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah, said to my Adonai, What's going on there? Well, let's talk about it. The Lord Yahweh says to my Adonai, God, God, God says to God, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. God the Father speaking and promising to God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Jerusalem. Another word for Jerusalem. You will rule in the midst of your enemies, despite your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Jesus' day of battle. We know what that means. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. So we're, we're doing some poetry here. It's pretty cool. Verse 4 the Lord, whenever it's all caps, Lord, the Hebrew Bible editors are telling you it's Yahweh or Jehovah, all right? The Lord Jehovah, the Father, has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The book of Hebrews quotes this line 10 times. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Another poetic way of saying something very wonderful. So we're going to take a look at that now. So 
This amazing Pharisee busting Sadducee silencing psalm as it is. <laughs> Finally, I got a chuckle out of you. All right. Amazing it is. All right. So, uh, did you know that this Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament? Did you know that? 25 times. Verse 1 and verse 4 are quoted in the New Testament. All right? That's a lot. Or alluded to. But uh, direct hits, it is by far the most popular Old Testament uh, verse. So Psalm 110 describes these three beautiful things about our Jesus being Messiah, the Messiah. Uh, First of all, in verses 1 and 2, he's Lord and King. Secondly, he's warrior priest, three and four. And in five through seven, he's (laughs) the ruler of the world. Now, and I have written it right here. I mean, I just have little arrows. It just means to me, they just, each line follows an implication and uh, one idea on top of another. So you don't even need a segue. The whole Psalm just says, hey, he's Lord and King, therefore he's warrior priest. And there, if he's Lord and King and warrior priest, of course, he's ruler of the world. So let's do this and take a look at Lord and King, this Messiah who is born of a human being, but he is Lord and King. So let's take a look at that. All right. So this is interesting. David is having a vision by the Holy Spirit. And on in one corner, he sees Yahweh. And he oh, and on the other side, David's in the middle. And on the other side is Adonai, the son of God. So he's in the middle and he's eavesdropping on a private personal conversation between God the Father and God the eternal son. And he's right in the middle. And he says, Jehovah is speaking to Jesus. Yahweh, Jehovah, same thing. You can pronounce it either way is speaking to my Adonai. Now, since David is the highest ruler there, when he says, I Adonai, he means the Lord. Now, and Jesus is plainly saying he means the Lord. Now, interesting again, I don't know if you knew this. Adonai is plural. Adon is Lord. Adonai, the Lord's. And it's used with singular verbs, just like Elohim. El is singular God. Elohim is the gods. Hero, Israel, the gods. Elohim is one. And now he's doing it again. They're doing it again. It's that collective plural singular, all right? That now we've got the gods are speaking to the gods, but using one verb because they're one. And now we get to the New Testament. Jesus clears it up as much as you can clear up a mystery like this. And he says, listen, there's one name. When you do your baptizing, it's in the name of God. One name, not an S on that name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, I like Charles Stanley. I don't know if you love him as much as I do. But I do. And even though he's getting 
up there in, in, in years. He's very fruitful and effective. Here's how he uh, describes the Trinity. He's just, it's just about roles, all right? The Father initiates the plan, Jesus Christ implements the plan, and the Holy Spirit administers the plan. Now, there's another Chuck, Chuck Swindoll. And here's how what Chuck Swindoll said. Each person of the Godhead plays a distinct role. The Father chooses, the Son redeems, and the Spirit sanctifies. I myself, I'm going with Charles Stanley on this one. All right, I just like it. That the Father's initiating, Jesus is implementing, and the Holy Spirit is administrating. And that's exactly what we see here. Now listen, you know, he, he's, he, John 17 says, Jesus is praying, and he says, Father, glorify me now, right before the cross, glorify me with the glory in your presence that I had with you before the creation of the world. They've, oh, they, they're a package. There's always been a father, always been a son, always, always been the Holy Spirit. It's always three and always one. That's who he is. He's the Godhead, right? And um, you can't have one without the other. So in John chapter 8, the Jews are telling Jesus, they're saying, hey, talking about Abraham's our father. We only have one father, and our father is God. And he says, oh, Jesus says, that's impossible, because if God were your father, you would love me, because you can't have the father without the son, and you can't have the son without the spirit, and you can't have the spirit without the son, and you can't have the son without the father. Because we're one. Amen? Amen. Did you follow that kind of? I did in faith. (laughs) And so, keeping with Charles Stanley, the Father initiates and Jesus is implementing and the Spirit is administrating. Here we have the roles, the Father and the Son. The The Father God is speaking to God the Son about the plan he wants to implement. And he says, I will, in verses one, two, three, right? I will do this. And Jesus is going to be, and we're going to hear he will, the Messiah will, in verses, what is it? Five to seven. You see the the shift there. And so what is the plan? God the Father, Yahweh, who's speaking to God the Son, has a plan. And it's to overthrow evil, to come into this world of darkness, bring the light, redeem those whosoever die for the sins of the world through Christ. He's the implementation of the plan, right? And, and, and he's going to establish a kingdom. That's the plan here. And so here we have sit at my right hand, right? So the father's telling the son, he's inviting him to the highest place because in the Old Testament, speak. Um, to be at the right hand is to be your, the highest place of honor, privilege, and power. All right? It means there's no, nobody higher, no other name. And so um, I should say Jesus is invited by the Father back to his original place, which is high above every other name because he left that place. He told us he was with the Father in the beginning. John chapter 1 and verse 1, another shout out to this idea. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And that word that was God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so he's just saying, listen, God the Father to God the Son. Come on up here. So what's happening here? He, he's speaking about Jesus' death and resurrection after the cross, his ascension and his exaltation to the highest place. And, and here's what Ephesians says. It's, it's nailing this exact idea. Ephesians, New Testament. He raised Jesus, God the Father, who just said, come up here, sit at my right hand. He raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put everything under his feet. Footstool. There, this, this, this whole idea of Psalm 110. And that's exactly what's going on here. And I just want you to know, just, and we could go back to the text. The reason the Pharisees didn't dare say another word is because they got convicted that, oh my word, if he is the Messiah, the promise is their God, Jehovah, is speaking to Jesus who's standing right there in the courtyard. Don't worry, son, because you're gonna come and be seated at my right hand, right? And then I'm going to, and you will watch and see me put all of your enemies under your feet. And then they didn't dare to, uh, to say anything else. Why? Because they were scared out of their minds because the word of God convicted them. Word of God convicted them. Everybody who opposes the Messiah, God the Father is promising God the Son, don't worry, it's only a matter of time before they're under your feet, every last opponent. And so if you're an opponent, you'd be feeling a little bit intimidated at that point, I would think. And so they got it. So now listen, I'm going to say this. You know, Yahweh will crush his enemies under his feet, the Messiah's feet. But he preferred them to come to the cross where Yahweh crushed his only son, the Messiah, under the wrath of his feet so that guys like those Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and every other immoral person in the world could come and have life because God so loved the world. Yeah, he's going to crush his opponents. But first and foremost, and most significant of all, he crushed. It pleased the Lord to crush him, Isaiah 53. It pleased Yahweh to crush this precious incarnation, this precious, perfect representation of who God is. God in a body, his only son. And he was pleased or willing to crush him so that his opponents could have a way out. So this isn't a psalm about we're just going to crush everybody and pile up the bodies, and that's what it says. Well, first we pile up my body in the grave and make a way out. And then if you don't want to come through that, then you're my opponent. So heads up, all opponents of Jesus, 
maniacal dictators with your nuclear threats, leaders of Russia, Syria, North Korea, and Iran, ISIS, Hamas, PLO, Hezbollah, Boko Haram. Gangs, thugs, murderers, liars, robbers, rapists, all Jesus haters, deceivers, and those who are immoral, who remain unrepentant. You have a destiny, and it will be under his feet. Now, he would love it if he'd be under his arm, you know, close to his side where he can love on you. It's two choices. Come under his love or come under his feet, right? And there will be people, and every single person who comes under his feet was a willful decision to do so. Didn't have to do it. Did not have to be there. That's the agony in hell, is that this was my own doing. All right, let's move on. So no, <laughs> no segue needed here because um, armies are involved. And right, if he's going to subdue everybody, then we know there's going to be a war. But it's an interesting combination here, three and four, isn't it? So not only is he Lord and King, this Messiah, right? But, but he's, he, he's also a warrior priest. The two things don't seem to go together. All right, so uh, your troops will be willing, more than willing, your troops, son of God, you have troops, all right? You will be, they will be enthusiastic on your day, the day of the Lord, battle, Armageddon, tribulation, Arrayed in holy majesty will, of course, because they're with him in heaven, they're the hosts of heaven, from the womb of the dawn of time, this is eternal in the makings, you will receive the dew of your youth, I'll explain that. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you're a priest, but in the order of Melchizedek. And so that gets complicated, but I'm going to give you the cliff note versions, uh, version for that. Okay, so we're, we're now at this odd mix of warrior slash uh, priest. I got a picture, pictures to just show you what I mean. Here's, here's, the, here's the priest. All right, so, you know, this is what they kind of looked like. They would, uh, and here is, of course, Jesus is depicted as the Old Testament type of high priest that came once a year with the blood into the holy place and offered it on the... Um, you know, the mercy seat there and all of that. And, and, and everything here speaks of Jesus. Every last thing speaks of Jesus and Christianity and atonement and eternal life and the church it just, and heaven. It's all wrapped up in every little thing here, right? Well, well normally when you think of priest, you, you don't think of this guy, this next guy, the warrior, Right, you don't. I, I borrowed this from you know <laughs> a contemporary version. I'm sorry, but some Lord of the Rings version, probably. Right? You don't think so. Swap back to the old dude. Right? Here's a guy. Oh Lord, I'm just gonna wave this incense. You know, you know, and I'm gonna say my prayers. You know, uh, uh, and you don't really get this and him. Right? But that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. You can go back to the text. Now, so, yeah, here's what we know about the Messiah thanks to Isaiah 9. And I've been quoting it all night. Wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, 
Oh, one more time. It's, the answer is Prince of Peace. So you, you can have more confidence. Okay, ready? Answer? All right, all right, very good. Now, this Prince of Peace is Prince of Peace in two regards. He's Prince of Peace in our hearts to reconcile us as a priest to God, right? And he brings peace to the world. That's what the angel said, you know? Got good news, joy to the world, peace, right? He's coming to bring some peace. So, in a spiritual sense, this priest mediates. A priest in the Old Testament is the guy who takes God's hand, the guy who, ta- guy, guy who takes the sinner's hand, and he brings them together. And the Old Testament, no man can do that perfectly. That's why we needed Christ. And Christ is God himself, the perfect sacrifice. He's the one who can hold your hand and hold his hand and together, because of his sacrifice, there's peace for the whosoever's right? Whosoever's. And then this Prince of Peace is, uh, he brings peace on earth. And this is where the warrior comes in. You cannot have peace on this earth without putting down completely, 100%, every threat, every fear, every evil thing that would take peace away. So, So if you're really the Prince of Peace and you're going to establish peace, what has to happen? And listen to me, because the world does not get this. Who would Jesus bomb, right? Who would Jesus bomb? I I, I saw that on a bumper sticker. I'm rolling down my windows. I'm like, I'll tell you. First of all, he, he dropped a bomb on his only son first. Let's clear that up, all right? So that you could have your bumper stickers and defy God. All right, but be forgiven if you came to him. Second of all, (laughs) second of all, who would Jesus bomb? Have you read Revelation? (laughs) There are 21 bombs, 21 judgments that fall on an earth, and at the end, the earth is like tilted and out of orbit and cannot sustain life because of what the lamb, the wrath of the lamb, that's his nature, gentle and kind, but do not mess with him and try to rob this world of truth and rightness and goodness and love because he will take you down. He will take you down because he's a warrior. He's a warrior. You have to have zero tolerance for anything unreconciled to him in this life. So he's going to crush it to pieces after, of course, crushing himself so that whosoever will wants to get out of the way of the train wreck that's coming can, can hide in him and find eternal life and be treated better than your sins deserve and give you eternal life, crowns with him. He'll call you family, let you sit on his throne with him. That's a pretty good deal. Amen? I'm having fun tonight. All right. So, you know, give peace a chance. Don't start me. Give peace a chance. How about 7,000 years? How about 7,000 years? How about 2,000 years of a cross that laid down, the Son of God laid down on and said, I'm going to give you guys amnesty. All you have to do is have a change of heart. Boom, done. You escape. 
Oh, you don't have to be good. Nothing, 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 nothing. I was good for you. All I want you to do is have a change of heart. Trust in me. That's all I want. And I'll give you the whole shebang. Right? So uh, that's been 2,000 years. So on your day of battle is coming. When does that come? When the last Gentile, when the last Christian becomes, (laughs) becomes saved, and God knows that number, when the world is right, he will take the church out of harm's way. He said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, he will take us up, catch us up, out of harm's way. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, I will spare the church, I will spare you from the hour of tribulation that is coming on the whole earth. For we are not appointed to God's wrath. But this day of your battle, it's called the day of the Lord. That's a day of God's wrath for which we are not appointed. And when the church is taken up, that one who restrains will restrain no longer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, the one who's restraining and holding back will, will lift the restraints off, and then the men who have been threatening to use all their powers to annihilate Israel, to wipe people off the face of the earth, God will bless that with 21 enhancements. (laughs) They will basically do the work themselves, but he will bless the work of their hands with his people out of harm's way. That, my friends, is what he's talking about. Your troops are, are amassing the angels, getting ready for that day that culminates in something called Armageddon. Armageddon. And how long is this thing going to be? Of course they're beautiful and arrayed with glory because they're the angelic host. And, and from the womb of the dawn of time, it's eternal. And you will receive the dew of your youth. Here's what it means. It will not be that difficult for Jesus. He will be, as a conqueror, uh, he has eternal youthfulness. It's a poetic way of saying endless strength and prowess and uh, vitality and vigor. There's there's just no end to his strength. And so there's no challenge here to him. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. And and so that's the idea there. And and so a different kind of warrior, yeah, the priest thing, you know, um, I'm going to explain this to you. It's pretty easy. So... The, this, this remark is for Jews because the Jews would know if, if Jesus is go, if Messiah is going to be a high priest, he will have had to be related to Levi or Aaron, right? Because that's a rule, right? But Jesus doesn't get his ability to be a high priest and the sacrifice for the sins of the world through any man. He gets it because... He's always been from the dawn of the womb of time. He's always been the priest, according to this dude, Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek appears in Genesis 14. Abraham just rescued Lot out of Sodom. And suddenly, this this mysterious character who's described as having no beginning and no end, no father and no mother, eternal, and he comes out and he serves communion Bread and wine, hello, and he's from Jerusalem, 
right? So who is he? Everybody, all the scholars say, come on. This is a pre-incarnate uh, visitation of Jesus Christ before he's incarnated, right? So all he's saying is, listen, he didn't have to qualify like, oh, is he related to Aaron to be the high priest? You know, no, 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 no. He, he gets his right to be high priest, our high priest, because he is the son of God, the eternal high priest, the one who mediates. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. First Timothy chapter two, verse five. All right, and so now we finish up with verses five through seven, and, and, and it's not for the faint of heart. Now, this ought to get you thinking. This is a worship song. This is a worship song for church. This is what the Psalms were. They'd get together, and, and they'd open up the word, and they'd have a Bible study, and then they'd sing some hymns, and this is one of the hymns. And listen to the end. The Lord is at your right hand. He's talking again to the Messiah, uh, he will crush kings. Now, now we've got the, the Lord doing it. He, the Lord, Jesus, will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Then he will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he'll lift up his head. That's one of my favorite verses right there. I'll explain why. So this Lord and King is incarnated as the son who embodies every, every ounce of what God is, the father, in a plan, is a warrior for peaceful reconciliation to establish a kingdom where there's only goodness. And this implies, of course, that he'll rule the world. So we're in the end now. No rival thrones, nobody to compete. And, and this is what this means. There's no one, no matter who he is, or how many uh, soldiers he has, or the size of his armies, listen, or the incredible numbers of the infantry, or the vast supply of weapons. There's nobody on earth to fear his sake and ours as well, because we're in our Messiah. So all who oppose him are going to go down. Uh, uh, here's, here's another proverb. There's no wisdom, no plan, no strategy that can uh, succeed against the Lord. Proverbs 21 and verse 30. So there's harsh language here. And you know, there are sensitive people here. And maybe you're going through something right now and you're not in the mood for a pile of dead bodies and crushing, crushing the rulers of the whole earth. The whole earth. So he's talking about, just name them. Name them in your mind. Name all of those dictators. Let's say he came in the next seven years or so that the tribulation unfolds, let's say this fall that the church has taken up, let's just say the tribulation starts, the peace treaty is signed with Israel, the Antichrist appears, world peace and all of that, and then the judgments start falling. If that happened in our framework here, we're talking about real names, the people you know on television. Those are the bodies crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Who are they? Well, you know who they are. Now, so if we're there and this whole thing that is on that precipice of people pressing buttons, if the world is all the torpedoes for Armageddon are, are essentially figuratively loaded, 
if the pumps are primed and the day of the Lord is just around the corner once he removes the church, then you know who these people are. That just brings Psalm 110 home in, in, a, in a very different light. So there's, there's harsh language, but I'm telling you what, and this is what I wrote down here. I sleep better at night reading words like that. He will judge the world, the nations. Nobody's getting away with anything. He will heap up the dead, crushing the rulers of the whole earth. There's not one going to get away. So I go to bed, and I'm going to snuggle in there, and I'm like, I'm just so happy because that's my friend. That's my friend. That's my Lord. That's my Adonai. And, and I'm connected to him, and he's my father. And he says, you can call You know what? You can call me Abba. You can call me, just call me Daddy. You know? And so that's my Daddy. I could sleep good tonight. Let the little short little dictators say whatever they want. And I left out an adjective, all right? He's just short. There's another adjective. <laughs> Let them say whatever they want. You know why? Because not one of them is going to be alive to talk about it should he approach the planet that he created with his own mouth. Well, I... I I don't have worries. I don't know about you, but Paul the Apostle said, if God is for you, thank you. I knew you were out there. I love you. I love you. <laughs> All right. So this is the gospel. Now, I'm going to tell you something maybe you don't know. Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon given on the day of Pentecost for the church. It's the birthday of the church, and 3,000 Christians are going to get saved, and they're like the first Christians in the whole world, right? What's the sermon about? I'm going to tell you. The sermon's about the day of his wrath, the day of the Lord. And then at the end of the sermon, he's quoting Joel. He's quoting Joel. He's going to say, the stars are going to fall out of place. Uh, there's going to be a blood moon. You know, the, the stars won't be working. There's only fire and smoke and the earth's going to be on fire. And then he's, and he's talking about, and he's calling it the day of the Lord. This is the birth of the church, not the Old Testament. And then he says, but whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, he's not talking about hell. Not there. The birth of the church is a sermon about the wrath of God being poured out on the world and a way out of the great tribulation. The way out of the great tribulation is to call on the name of the Lord and you will not go through the tribulation. That is the sermon in Acts chapter two. Read it for yourself. Peter the apostle gets up. Hey, everybody, we're not drunk. We're, like everybody's accusing us, we're speaking in tongues, right? Because the Holy Spirit is written in Joel. And then he starts talking, day of the Lord, day of the Lord, end of the world, end of the world. But you know what, folks? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're not going through the tribulation if you've called on the name of the Lord because he didn't appoint us to wrath. He's not a wife beater, the Lord. We are his wife. Amen. All right. So I'm losing my voice, so I'm going to have to stop now, even though I want to keep going. Uh, there's a little bit more here. It's a messy affair, okay? So he's going to crush the kings on the day of his wrath. 
He, he will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Listen, Revelation 16. <laughs> the blood from one of the judgments is so nasty and, and the tribulation is so great that it spreads 180 miles. Revelation 16 has it written out there. As high as a bridle of a horse for 200 miles. Now, that doesn't mean a river like you would picture some gory thing. It just means a mess everywhere for 200 miles. And that's just one part of it. The oceans don't have any life in it. There's no more mountains. There's no more islands. There's no sustainable water on the planet. It's all been polluted. This is a messy affair, a real messy affair. And that makes me very different about how I live my Christian life. If this is the way the earth is going to be destroyed, 2 Peter chapter 3, then what kind of people should we be? How should we be treating our friends? Should we just keep forgetting to bring up to our unsafe family members right now in this time in history that, oh, by the way, Something terrible is coming, but Jesus loves you so much. He made a way. There's an ark. The door is still open. Come on inside the ark of Christ Jesus. But one day the door of the ark, just like the, the, the metaphor of old, and it was a real historical thing, the door gets shut. The judgment comes down, and those who are saved in the ark go up. The judgment comes down the way it's going to be. So yeah, I make friends with a lot of people. And yeah, people say, you're always talking about the Lord. And you're always so serious. And when you get up to preach, boy, you're animated. You know, I've been hearing that lately. You know what? Let me just read this to you. The Messiah is coming. He's going to judge the whole world and heap up the dead and crush the rulers of the whole earth. Yeah, I'm a little excited about this. I mean, I, I'm a little concerned for people, you know, and all of that. He will drink from a brook beside the way, therefore he will lift up his head. It poetic way of saying, it's not going to be hard for him to do this. He won't even break a sweat. Armaged, the battle of Armageddon, that's not really a battle. He appears, they point their weapons at the Lord, and he speaks. He says a word like, please, just stop, you know. He says a word, and boom, done, done, over, right? So he's going to say, just like taking a sip of water and continuing the chase, he won't break a sweat. It won't be hard for him. He's not going to be like, oh, this is a big battle. Okay, everybody, we might lose a, a, an angel or two. No, 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 no. <laughs> None of that's going to happen. That's what he's saying. He's just going to say he's going to kneel down to pick up some cool, fresh water. While he's doing it, he doesn't even have to look around. He's going to take a little sip, toss back his head, and go, what's up? You know, that's what he's going to do. That's the spirit of it. The spirit of it. This is a cinch for God. We're like, how's he going to handle those little dictators with all those marching guys with their legs going up like this, you know? And why is it only the way? wicked, evil regimes that do that goose-stepping. What is that? We don't march like that. Why? Because we're nice. 
We're here to protect the world. But once you see armies do doing that thing with their legs, you know, you know, whoa, this is evil. All right. <laughs> Jesus is going to look at that and say, oh, that's really serious. In Psalm 2, Jesus laughs. He laughs at them. He says, come on, man. Come on. So all that to say, are you happy tonight you have a savior who doesn't break a sweat when he has to think about putting down evil so that we can enjoy his peace? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. We pray, Father, now that you bless us and dismiss us in your peace. We are one of get fired up, Lord. We want to live more devoted Christian lives. We want to be holy and blameless before you and be found doing something useful to you. Not caught in the act of backsliding and doing something dumb. Let us be engaged in our Father's business, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. God bless you this evening. We'll see you Sunday. God bless. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.